Father, you're here in this place as you promised that you would send your spirit. In fact, Jesus, you left. You came alive, literally came out of the grave, fully alive, not just a ghost. You were here, you had scars in your hands, and then, and then you said it would be better for me to leave so that I could send to you the one who's going to help. And the power of that was that it wasn't one Jesus, but it would be billions, the presence of God in every person that was willing to ask him to come. So we're just asking you to come, recognizing first and foremost that you're here in this place to stir our hearts, but also you live individually for anyone that would be willing to call on you. And it's that spirit that's going to make your word come alive. So we're asking you to do that this morning. And so we love you. We're looking forward to hearing from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you want to, uh, when you came in, you got a set of notes. Uh, You actually got a a, a worship guide. You can grab it, turn on the back. There's notes there you want to take. And then if you want to grab your Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Um, You ever had an expectation of something that was going to happen and then it didn't happen? The answer is, of course you have. Everybody has experienced uh, where you had an expectation that something was going to go a particular way and then it didn't go that way. How many of you have ever gone through the drive-thru, they gave you something, you drove off and away from the drive-thru and they did not have in your paper bag what they were supposed to have in the paper bag. Anybody ever done that before? You experienced that? Yes, you have. All you uh, Amazon Prime people out there, you expect your two-day shipping, right? And if it doesn't come in two days somebody's going to hear about it. Not that you can do anything about it, but somebody's going to hear about it, right? We've all, we all have those, those kinds of expectations uh, all through life, all, all the time. You ever, anybody ever purchased a, a ticket for an event and then the event got canceled? Y'all ever experienced that? It's the worst. That's not fun at all. That happens all the time. We have all kinds of um, uh, expectations in life, and some of, some of them are kind of light and surfacy, and then a lot of them are, are kind of weighty, and when the expectation doesn't come around, it kind of hurts, right? You, you find a significant other, and you expect them to meet all your hopes and dreams in life, and then all of a sudden you find out they're human, and that they can't do that, that they're not capable of doing that. Uh, uh, you get a new job, you ever gotten a new job and you were super excited about it and then you got the new job and you figured out it was kind of a toxic environment and then you were no longer excited about your new job? I mean, the, this happens every day. There are expectations all the time. We, in every relationship, in every transaction, every friendship, every workplace, every church, there are expectations. You're sitting there right now with an expectation that the pastor is not going to bore you to death. This is what happens. We all have expectations uh, in life. Uh, In fact, expectations are in everything. Expectations are in everything. And it really isn't a question of whether or not you're going to have expectations. The real question is, is, are your expectations right? Are the things that you expect reasonable? Is it reasonable? Whatever it is that the expectation is. That's actually the issue. Whole marriages have fallen apart because of this issue of expectations. 
It happens all the time, right? It starts with, I, men, I expect, you, I expect, husbands, I expect you to put the toilet seat down. I expect that, right? That's the, the starting expectation. And then maybe that doesn't pan out. Uh, and it moves on to other expectations. Is it reasonable to be spoken with angrily? We have expectations of how someone's going to treat us. We have expectations of how we're going to interact with each other. We see this all the time. But sometimes I think the biggest wounds come from the unmet expectations of our lives. Some of the biggest hurts or disappointments come when our expectations, expectations are met. Maybe you had expectations for your parents to protect you, and they didn't. And it hurt. Maybe you had expectations for friends to accept you, and then they turned their back on you. Maybe you had an expectation for your spouse to honor you, and they didn't. You had expectation for church leaders to be righteous, and maybe they weren't. We have all kinds of expectations that end up wounding us or hurting us along the way as we go through life. Those are some of the greatest wounds that we ever experience. In fact, what we celebrate today, Palm Sunday, was one of the great disappointments and hurts that people experienced. I don't know if you think about that, but this is that day where we celebrate Jesus came in riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And if you can picture this, if you can imagine this, for three years, his ministry has been going on for three years, and there are stories going around about the amazing things that Jesus had done. And people had been hearing that he was healing people and he was setting people free and people that were crazy and demon-possessed were somehow now normal. And he was sharing stories of truth and life. He was teaching in ways that people had never, ever heard before. That was going on for three years. There was a rumor mill of all rumor mills and they were saying, this is the guy. Finally, the one, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for is coming. And so they were so excited for Jesus to show up and finally be the king, the eternal king that was always going to, that was going to save Israel. And very specifically in that time, they were saying, we think you're finally going to be the one that's going to take us out of Roman rule. You're going to be the one to restore and, and establish the righteous throne of David forever. That was the expectation. So when Jesus is coming for Passover to Jerusalem, as all the Jews did, he's coming in and they start celebrating. And they take palm branches and they begin to wave them excitedly. It's, it's essentially, we, do, we use streamers now. They use palm branches, Okay. But that's what they were doing. It was a big party. Finally, all of our hopes and dreams and expectations are going to be met in this one man. That's what's going on. And what happens? By the end of the week, Jesus is naked and shamed on a cross. He's bloodied, bruised, beaten to a pulp. Great expectations for the coming Messiah, shattered hopes sitting on or hanging on a cross. In this moment, the collective anger of the nation is against him. 
the disappointment for all that Jesus was not in their eyes. What he didn't do, what he couldn't accomplish. Hosanna on Palm Sunday. Crucify him by Friday. This is the mother of all unmet expectations. You weren't what we thought you were supposed to be. And this really is where the rubber meets the road for everybody. This is kind of where it hits ground because every one of us, every one of us has had some kind of expectation of God. Every one of us in this room has had an expectation for God to do something or to fix something or to to do something that uh, we had hoped He would do and it didn't happen. I think some of the biggest disappointments that anyone's ever experienced in life are when you feel like God didn't come through in the way that you wanted Him to come through. I think if you're being honest, every one of us, either we personally or we've known someone that harbors a lot of hurt towards God because they had an expectation for something to come through and it, and it wasn't met. We had a hope, we had a dream, we had a desire. And they expected God to come through and it didn't happen. We tend to carry these offenses, carry these wounds. I don't, we've, I don't know if you've ever sung the song. You're, we've sung the song here where we say, you're never going to let me down. We sing that song with passion and conviction, but in truth, there's a part of us that feels at times like we've been let down or we know people who feel like they very much have been let down by God. So here's my question. How do you, how do I, how do we respond to God when we don't feel like He's met the expectation? That's the question, right? How do you interact with how do you come to God when the expectation hasn't been met? When the hope was there and it doesn't seem like it's coming through. When the desire is there and it's not coming to fruition. When you have an expectation that a good God would do something in some way and it's not happening. How do we respond to Him? I think that says a lot. In fact, how we relate to God with our expectations not being met How we respond to Him defines all of our experience of joy and peace. How we respond to God when the expectation isn't being met is going to define a lot about how much joy and how much peace we can actually have in this life. I want you to look at Luke 23 because you're going to find out that how we respond to God when life doesn't seem fair, it matters. It matters. And God has something to say to us. Luke chapter 23, look at verse 35. The people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. You feel the mockery here. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and they're sneering at him. You came in on Palm Sunday everybody cheering you, and you seem to have failed dramatically here at this moment. Verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, 
Save yourself. Do something. Verse 38, there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And they're just making fun of him. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. There's two, on each, one on each side. They railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, can we just, this is, this is the, make the understatement of the day. This guy's having a bad day. Okay. This guy's having a bad day. Okay. Uh, because he's being crucified. Uh, justly, as we'll find out here in a moment. And he's being crucified and he looks over at the Son of God and yells at him. Almost mocking, but in some ways wishing that he could get something from him. This is kind of one of those moments where you, you kind of thank God that you're not God, right? Because if you were the one hanging on the cross and someone sneered at you like that, and everything that you were experiencing is kind of one of those like, hey God, I'm just want to, might want to just like call down like lightning and zap him on the head. Like, would you, anybody? That, you don't think that? Like, am I, is that just me? I thank God all the time I'm not God. So you guys are all going, no, I'd really like to be God. No, no. This is a bad situation here. And this guy's kind of uh, responding out of his own pain. Now look at verse 40. But the other criminal who's hanging rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, meaning we're hanging here because we've been bad. This man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, what's happening here? They're called thieves in the scripture. Actually, there's two different words for thieves. There's common thief, kleptes, and then there's bandit or insurrectionist. Um, These are the guys, what they would do, if you heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan, they're the guys that would hide on the side of the road, mercilessly beat people and take from them. This is the kind of, they're violence. They're men of violence. In fact, these two men are are being hung. I don't know if you remember the story, but uh, the whole nation of Israel is given an opportunity to to, to not crucify Jesus and they bring an insurrectionist. Same word used for the guy named Barabbas, used for these guys. Guess who these guys are? These are Barabbas' guys. Barabbas is supposed to be hanging with these two guys. They have caused trouble, violence. Uh, they've been uh, completely, uh, they've come against uh, the rule of uh, the Romans. And they're being hung because they've been evil people. They deserve to be there. And Barabbas is supposed to be there, and he's not the one. Jesus is the one hanging there instead. These guys know that they've done something wrong. So you both, both of these guys are guilty of recklessness and violence, ruining people's lives and of sin. That's what they're guilty of. 
They're both staring at the end of their lives. Both of them looking at the end of their lives. This slow and painful death. They know death is coming. At some point in time, they won't be able to lift themselves up anymore. They're going to end up suffocating. Right? This is the whole point of crucifixion. Is they pierced you in places where you would not bleed out. You would literally die because you couldn't hold yourself up any longer of suffocation. So they know that the end of their life is coming. They're both in this place. They're both staring at uh, Jesus on the cross. And the biblical account we get from Matthew and Mark is that there are people walking by and uh, they're, they're looking up at Jesus going, hey, yeah, if you're so awesome, then save yourself. We read it just there. If you're the king of the Jews, pull yourself off the cross, save yourself. If you have all these amazing powers, why don't you do something about it? And the thief on one side is hearing those words and he echoes those same words. Both these men are insurrectionists and both are going to ask for help. One is going to demand, help me. Why can't you do something about this? And another is going to humbly ask. One's going to say, my expectations aren't being met. Do something. If you've got the power, then why don't you do something about it? How, why can't you come and fix this circumstance that I'm looking at? And the mistake of the first criminal, criminal is not that he wanted something from Jesus. Both men want something from Jesus. You understand that? Both men want something. The mistake this criminal makes is that he wanted something on his own terms. The mistake that this man made is, I want God on my terms. I want Jesus on my terms. I want Jesus to think the way that I think, and I want him responding the way that I think he's supposed to respond in this very moment. So often, we want God on our terms, and it never leads to life. So often, we want God on our terms. This is the fundamental issue that we often wrestle with when we're dealing with our own flesh, when we're dealing with our own mess. We want God on our own terms. If you would, listen, God, if you would just do it this way, then everything would be okay. And we become hurt or wounded or frustrated when God doesn't respond the way we want Him to. This is the moment that we all have to deal with, what this criminal is dealing with. What do we do when it doesn't seem like God is enough? How do we respond when He's not going to answer the request the way that we want Him to answer it? What do we do when it doesn't seem like God actually cares? You've been in that place where you're not sure God cares. We know with our minds that it, he cares, but we were wrestling to experience it. It's easy to throw this criminal under the bus, but in fact, I think we've all been at that place where we're going, God, why don't you do something? I expect you to do and to work this way. We don't, we don't tend to hang from crosses in our culture, but we have plenty that we actually fuss about. Why didn't you heal my son? Those are the questions we often ask. Or Why did you put me in the horrible family that you put me in? Or why isn't my son or daughter responding to me the way that I want them to respond to me? Or why didn't you provide the right job for me? I, me, my. Why didn't you do these things that I expected? And we live life this way from the very beginning. This is kind of something that's ingrained in us, wanting things on our own terms. I'm a, and, uh, I have a child who shall remain nameless that if there are not enough goldfish crackers in our house, the world comes apart. 
the tears begin to well up in their eyes and they're coming. And, and all, I mean, it's meltdown city when we're out of goldfish in our house. It legitimately is. Because goldfish, and I'm literally convinced. I'm convinced 50% of parenting is just making sure that your kids don't run out in the street. And the other 50% is just making sure your pantry is stocked. And if you can do those two things, you just, you fixed parenting. That's all it is. The truth is, from the moment we're born, we come in with expectations, and all of a sudden, we want life on our own terms. We think life should go a very particular way. But if the expectation isn't being met, then look out. I'm going to let you know about it. That's the first criminal. That's actually what we're dealing with here. I'm having a bad day, Jesus. Do something on my terms. The truth is, he undoubt, this man undoubtedly had heard about Jesus' ministry, had heard all the incredible things he had done. The rumors had been going around all over the nation. Jesus isn't hanging there because he was this small thing. His name had become crazy. His name had become great in the nation. Everybody had heard, this man had heard about Jesus, had heard of all the things he'd done, had heard of the miracles, had heard that he was the coming Messiah, and he's going, why don't you gonna do something? We're supposed to be hanging here with Barabbas. Why don't you do something? And what does Jesus say to his request for help? Nothing. Silence. Now you have the second criminal who's just as guilty, hanging there on the cross. And the difference between these two men is not the purity of their lives. It's not the purity of their actions or their sins. They're both there justly hanging. Both men need something from Jesus. Both men are looking for an answer from Jesus. The difference is the second criminal comes with humility with his hands up. The difference is rather than coming demanding Jesus and God work on his terms, the difference is he comes humbly and he asks, he says, Jesus, in fact, he actually only says one sentence. He's talking to the other guy the whole time. Listen, don't you fear God? How can you you yell at this guy? Why would you come and we're all hanging here because we deserve it. He just looks at Jesus. He has one thing he says to him. Jesus, would you just, would you just remember me? Would you just, now, you ever, you ever felt forgotten? You ever felt forgotten? There's a deep double meaning when this man comes to him and says, Jesus, would you remember me? And in some ways, it's like I've been off the, I've been off the beaten path, forgotten. Literally, this man left for dead. He says, would you remember me? But you know what this, actually, this guy's actually saying? First century Judea, you didn't have to be a scholar to know that God is the God of remembering his covenant. That's what he does. In fact, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 15, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And all the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. That's the promise. That's the covenant to Noah. I remember. 
I remember my covenant. Exodus chapter 6. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. He remembers his covenant with Abraham. Psalm 105.8. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. When this guy looks at Jesus, he's saying, when he's saying, remember me, he's saying, can I be a part of the family? You remember my covenant? Remember, you've got a covenant with your people and he's going, I've been a mess. In fact, I've, I've created problems in your people, the Jewish, among the Jewish people. And he's saying, would you remember me? He's saying, can I hold on to this covenant that I haven't kept? Can I be a part of this family that I have no ability to make? You're the only one who has the power to do it. Saying, I've made a mess of my life, but would you have mercy on me? I don't deserve this, but would you remember? Would you keep this covenant that I haven't kept very well? Can I be connected to you? Can I have friendship with you? Can I have mercy from you? And what is Jesus' answer? You know what? Paradise. Both men guilty. Both men ask it. Both men need something from God. One demands on his own terms. One says, mercy. Would you remember me, please? To one man, Jesus has nothing to say. To the other man, he says, listen, I promise you, paradise, life, hope. You've literally done nothing. You've done nothing to deserve this. But here's what he's saying. God always keeps his covenant. Keeps his covenant. We may not like how our lives go all the time. We may have different expectations of what our lives might look like day to day, but God will never let us down. He always keeps covenant. In this moment of repentance, this guy gets the promise. God makes a new promise. See, God always meets humility. He always does. It's all throughout Scripture. There are promises that God wants to speak. We can fester inside with all kinds of anger because God isn't acting the way that we think he's supposed to act or it doesn't seem like, just like that first criminal, we've got all this frustration inside of us. Or we can come with humility saying, God, I don't get it, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know everything, but I'm coming with my hands up. Will you remember me? God always meets that request. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is what he's saying. Open hands. In fact, if you would, you don't mind maybe putting your stuff down. I just want you to do something. Would you open your hands up and just and put your palms up like this? Now listen. There's two ways that we, there's two ways that we can come to God. We come to God with a fist, angry and demanding that he move, that he meet the expectation. 
Or we can open our hands and say, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't know all of how and why you operate the way that you do. But I come humbly, ready to receive and ready to give, right? This is the action. This is the action of giving, and this is the action of receiving. Every time you've come to a birthday party, you come with a gift and you hand it this way. And every time you've been at a party and you're the recipient, they hand you a gift and you receive it. There's an action of humility that God's asking for us to walk in. He said, I don't understand it all. And I don't know how, always how you're working for my good, but I know this, you're trustworthy. And here's the promise that we see with the second criminal. No matter what your life looks like, no matter how ugly it has been, man, Jesus is ready to bring paradise. Now here, this, that's the biggest part, right? We're all, this is going to happen from time to time where we do this with God. Right? We want to get into the boxing match with God. And God's saying, hold your hands up and you can put your hands down. You're like, how long do I have to do this, Pastor? It's going to be awkward. Right? As long as it takes, people, until you're humble, we're getting there. Come this way, demanding that life looks a particular or a certain way when we may not understand. The truth is this, and we see it all throughout Scripture, God's doing 10,000 things we don't see and don't know. 10,000 in a moment. Right now, he's doing 10,000 things we don't see. When we leave this place, doing 10,000 more things we don't see. And we can come against our understanding, apart from our understanding, or we can come with hands wide open and say, God, and the promise is this, not that you're going to perfectly understand it. The promise is God has paradise, has life. He has hope. He has mercy. He has goodness that he's going to give. That's what he does. Whatever it is that you've done, whatever it is that we've done, whatever attitudes we've ever had, the indication of Jesus hanging on the cross looking at this guilty man and saying, today you'll be with me in paradise, the indication here is that Jesus is eager to give you and I life. He's eager to give us life. You know, Christianity gets a, a bad rap for being pretty intolerant, for being exclusivistic, for keeping people out of the club. And here you have Jesus hanging on a cross with a man as guilty as the day is long saying, I want to give this out. You have paradise. Let me tell you, Jesus is the most open hand. He's ready to get people in. He's doing it on his terms. It means it comes through me, but he's ready to give it away. Eagerly ready. Jesus is eagerly ready to give it, give it away. God comes always ready to drench us in mercy. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he, all that he has made. Every day we're walking under the goodness of God all over the place. The fun vacation you had, that's the goodness of God, all right? You're cracking up at your friend who just snorted Dr. Pepper because they're laughing out loud. You know that moment where you're cracking up, so you're laughing so hard because they're laughing so hard? right? 
That's the goodness of God. That moment where you get to rest at the end of a hard day's work, you breathe, that's the goodness of God. Any goodness you've ever seen over any person ever in the world, you could be straight atheist, any goodness ever experienced, it's all from God. God has goodness to give day in and day out, every ounce Every smile, every joy, every moment, it's the goodness of God. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anchor. He's abounding in love. His mercy is over all that He has made. So often the question happens, we get that question, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Why does a good God allow bad things to happen? And that's just the wrong question, right? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how insanely merciful is God that He doesn't come and wipe us out with a fireball right now? His mercy endures forever. He's giving it away every day. Every day we breathe breath. It's goodness. Every day we're alive. It's mercy. It's goodness. So when something isn't going our way, or something isn't going, something's going on in a way that we don't understand it, how do we respond? How do you respond to God? Two men, both guilty. One's got his gloves up, ready to demand. One's got his hands open asking for life and help. God's eager to give you promises. He's eager to give you new life. He's eager to give you fresh promises, if you'll ask. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take two minutes to ask. Jeremy, would you just come up and just play for us? We're going to close. In fact, if you will, Put your stuff down. How we respond to God when we don't get what we think we deserve is important. It matters. Let's pray. God, you are eager to give new life and fresh promises. It's all throughout the words. It's in fact what you're saying book after book and chapter after chapter and verse after verse. You're eager to give goodness and life and wholeness away. And you aren't just eager to give goodness away, God. What you've planned for us is beyond what we can imagine. What you've planned for every person that would call on the name of Jesus is beyond everything we could imagine. You might be going, in fact, right where you're at, you might be going through what feels like the firestorm of all firestorms. And you have yet to imagine all and life pleasure and joy that God has planned for you paradise I don't think Jesus uses that word flippantly Jesus wants to make an exchange with you your lack of understanding for paradise your unmet expectations for paradise Would you be willing to make that fresh exchange?
And that means you got to come with your hands open, ready to give the unmet expectation over. Whatever thing doesn't make sense or whatever thing you don't feel like you understand fully. And receive the fresh goodness of God. He's good. He's eager to give it away. He always will. He's planning our good, not just in the here and now, but in the age to come. Do we trust him? This really comes down to an issue of trust. Lord, would you help us trust? You might even just say, Lord, would you help me trust? Would you help us trust? Would you help us honor? Would you help us magnify and glorify you? Would you help us respond with a yes in our hearts to you? Would you help us obey? Would you help us to not run away from you or treat you as if you're distant? Would you help us to come right toward you even when we don't understand at all? Would you help us to open our mouths to talk to you in the middle of the day? Would you help us to see you for who you really are as the King of kings and Lord of lords? Planning our good, planning for us paradise. Pray, God, that we would walk in that truth. Pray, God, we would believe that more and more. We give to you our unmet expectations, God, and we say, your way is better. Would you lead us? It's in your name we pray. Amen.